Blog Talk Radio. I always wait for this Blog Talk Radio so I don't start talking and then it comes cut, cut, cuts in on me. I want to welcome all of our our listeners. I know we have several people in the chat room. We want to welcome all of you joining either by phone or the chat room. Or There's so many ways to, to, to listen to Off the Shelf. So I want to thank all of our listeners, our loyal listeners. We are in our 11th year, so I want to thank you for being with us here for going on 11 years at Off the Shelf. We started on Blake Radio. I always like to get to get him a shout-out. Neil Blake started that, and they, they're still online. They play the smoothest jazz, and they also do talk shows. We started there, then we came to Blog Talk Radio maybe four years ago. So it's been a total of going on 11 years. But I want to welcome everybody to Off the Shelf for this Saturday, uh, February the 7th. Next Saturday is Valentine's Day. So I hope that wherever you are, we're, we might get snow here in Philadelphia, but uh, I hope we do get snow. But whatever the weather is you want, I hope that's what you get this weekend, that you get out and, and enjoy yourself. And I would just thank you again for being here with us. I can't tell you how much I enjoy having you here on Off the Shelf Radio, and there is still time for you to tell your family, your friends. If you love our, our today's guest, you want to support her, there is still time for you to go in. You just put in Denise Turney off the shelf. It'll come up in the search engines. It should come up right up at the first page. You can click on the link, hop over into the chat room if you want to, or you can dial in by calling 347 994 Three four nine zero. Again, the 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 dial in to off the shelf is three four seven nine nine four three four nine zero. You still have time to enjoy all of today's show. For those of you, it might be your first time tuning in. I like to introduce myself because I listen to shows my as well, and I'll be listening to them and enjoying them. But I wonder who's talking. So I want to introduce myself. I'm your host Denise Turney, coming to you live from. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. And thank you, thank you, thank you. You know I say that a lot, and I mean it. Thank you for your support. Don't let another day go by. I encourage you, my friend, don't let another day pass before you pick up a copy of Love Pour Over Me. If you like mystery and romance, and you like a lot of excitement because there's some high chase scenes and loads of entertainment in Love Pour Over Me, Go out and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me today. You can get it at ebook it, Barnes and Noble, Amazon.com. You can get it at the library. It's in print and ebook format, online or offline. If you don't see it on the shelf, just tell the clerk you want to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. Please go get a copy today and let me know how you enjoy Love over me. And now let us go and meet our very special off the shelf guest. Our special guest today is Gracie Hill. Gracie is an Arkansas native. She is also the author or the co author, some of the books she authored herself, some she co authored, of these books Relentless Sorrows of the Heart, The Kitchen Beautician. I like that title. And Say Sanctified and and Keeping My Secret. You can learn more about Gracie Hill and her books by visiting her website at www.gracyhill.com. She kept it simple. I love that. Easy to remember. And I'm going to spell it for you guys. G R A 
G-R-A-C-I-E-H-I-L-L.com. Again, G-R-A-C-I-E-H-I-L-L.com. GracieHill.com. You should hop over there right now, even as you finish listening to this episode of Off the Shelf Radio. You can learn more about her books and her even and look at the covers and enjoy her book covers as you enjoy today's show. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Gracie. Thank you so much. Good morning to you and your listeners. Thank you so much for having me this morning. We are delighted to have you here with us. We have been blessed over the years. I tell you, I, I, I never even set out to have a radio show. I asked to be a guest on a show, and, the, and then the station owner said, why don't you start your own show, and that's how it started. And I'm thinking, how do I get enough guests to fill up even a, a, a month? And here it is, we're going on 11 years, so thank the good Lord for that. But I want to yes. start by asking, I'd like to give our listeners backstory on our guests so they can feel some connection with you and get to know you better before we start talking about your writing and your books. So to begin, what was life like for you, Gracie, growing up in Wine, Arkansas? And i got to tell you, I think you might be the only person, the first person I met that I knew of who's from Arkansas. So what was it like Ooh. for you growing up? Yes. Wow. Um, yes, I, yes, I'm from Wynn, Arkansas, and um, I grew up in a home filled with children because my mom had 13 children. Wow. Although there were two generations of kids, I know she had eight, and then she didn't have children for a long time. Then she had five children, so there ended up, you know, 13 of us. I'm a twin, so I have a twin sister, and then there were a set of twin boys right behind us. So our house was big, it was lively, it was full of fun and food and laughter and animal things too, you know, because my <laughs> I grew up in the South, and, you know, if you did something that you weren't supposed to do and you were down at the neighbor's house, by the time you got home, your mom was going to know about it because the neighbor had, had admonished you and mom was going to get you when you got home, you know. So um, at, when I was growing up, you know, the village, the community, the neighborhood, you know, raised you, you know, in addition to your parents. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, we didn't have pro- a problem with, you know, another adult saying something to us. So the time that I grew up in, you know, I really liked it. And, and my town it was a small town and, you know, filled with a, a lot of family. And even people that weren't family, they were friends. And you just felt like they were family, you know. It was a small town that that people just got along, and it was just so much fun growing up. We did so many things outside, and you know, just picked peaches, and you know, we had a, a garden oh. with watermelons, yeah, and pecan trees, and things like that. A, a, a well in the backyard, you pumped water in a well. Just just something totally different. Just good down home, clean living, you know. You know what, when you're a kid sometimes, when you're real young, you have fun, and then sometimes you get to be close to a teenager and you think, oh, this old stuff, and, mm-hmm. you, want, and you want something different. <laughs> but then when you get older, you look back and you say, wow, we really, we really, you had love and you really had a lot of fun. Yeah, yes. I enjoyed listening to you when you're talking about the pea countries and the well. and I, Although we didn't have a well in our backyard, but I was listening to you, and I could hear the excitement in your voice, and it made me smile. How did you get, Gracie, how did you get from Wine, Arkansas, all the way to Chicago, Illinois? Well, my mom um, moved us, moved the family here, you know, many years ago. I've been in, in Rockford over 30 years. Um, we had a, an adult sister that lived here, so there was someone, you know, that my mom knew here. Um, so she migrated up this way, and my mom was a fantastic cook, and she actually had two restaurants in uh, Rockford, Illinois. She was an entrepreneur, 
uh, I also am an entrepreneur, and she just embedded in us, you know, the mindset to, you know, be financially independent, to be um, someone who pursued their dreams and to not put limitations on yourself, to love the Lord, to have a relationship with God. And um, when we came to Rockford, it was so different than where we came from. It was like culture shock, you know, because where I live, there was a railroad track um, that separated, you know, um, white folks from black folks. You know, it was back in the Mm. 60s. So, you know, it was very, very different when we moved here because the neighborhoods were, you know, um, intermingled with different nationalities. There was um, swimming. You got to learn how to swim in the school. There was actually a pool in the swimming in the school, when where I lived, the high schools were even separated. We didn't go to, you know, segregation was still in place. So it was very, very different. It was, like I said, almost culture shock, but definitely, you know, new experiences, new opportunities, and, you know, an opportunity to grow and reach new horizons. Okay, okay. I, 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 it's amazing when I listen to you. You so much excitement in your voice, like I said from your Arkansas to your Chicago, and I can see how your mom's independence and her entrepreneurial spirit, being a great cook, how it has impacted and raising 13 children. Wow, yes. how it's impacted you. Who Who is behind this? Who inspired you to become a writer? Now, your mom was a great cook, so who, who stirred up the writer in you? You know, that absolutely was God because it was never my intent to be an author. You know, that was never my dream. I never specifically aspired toward that. I I was good in school. Uh, I loved English. I've always been an avid reader. I like to write short stories. I I wrote poetry for a little little while. Um, So I liked um, the literary challenge. And I loved reading because it took me to a whole different place. It gave me the opportunity to, you know, live in France, you know, to to be in Hawaii or, you know, whatever the storyline and background of the book that I was reading, I actually could experience that. So um, many years ago, probably eight, nine years ago now, um, I was in church, and God just put a title of a book in my head, and the title was Where the Brother's At. And um, I the thought just began to mature in my mind that I was going to write a book. And I'm thinking to myself, I've never written a book. I don't know how to write a book. That can't be what I'm going to do. So I I kept the thought, you know, it just moved about here and there for over a two-year period. You know, sometimes I would think about it. Sometimes it would just lie dormant. And then one night God woke me up and the words just poured out onto the page. It was effortless. I didn't have to think about it. Um, the words just came, and before long, I had a story. So shortly after I finished that book, I was driving in the car. God gave me the title for my second book, Flowers of the Heart. And I trusted God then because, okay, I wrote this first book, and it surely wasn't my goal, and I didn't design it. So I know that God's going to give me the words for this book as well. So I I absolutely have to say it's truly God. And and my intent in writing is to encourage readers, you know, not only to – entertain them, definitely, but I also want to encourage them because I write in the uh, faith-based genre. I want them to know that God is able to be a source of strength, a source of deliverance, and no matter what issue we struggle with in life, um, God is the answer. Oh, okay. That is interesting how you started writing. So many people would say, their mom or teacher or grandmom, but we have had people who it's just come through a, a, 
the uh, spiritual avenue for how they got mm-hmm. started uh, mm-hmm. in their writing. Is there? I know you told us you were just you were just driving, or it would just come to you at night, and the words would just flow. But other than the 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 way that the story you would you just got up and started writing, is there a specific? Was there a real life event? that happened to you in response to some of your friends in relationships that inspired the, your debut novel, Where the Brothers At? It would, were, you, were there things you observed women going through that that uh, inspired that, you to write that novel? Um, that's an interesting question. One One of the main things in the story is, there is an intelligent African-American woman, very successful. She's a corporate attorney, and she struggles with whether she should date interracially. She's um, a major um, partner in her law firm, and, you know, she wants to um, have a mate, but she wants to also um, reestablish her relationship with God. And because she wants to have uh, a family and, you know, be financially secure with her mate, and um, Caucasian men are, you know, very attracted to her, but she wants to, you know, have children that look like her. And oftentimes we as as um, successful black women, we struggle with those very real things, you know. And years ago, you know, it wasn't um, even a consideration whether you would date out of your race or not, you know. But that's very common now, and that's real life. So I wanted to write a story that really depicted challenges for um, black women or women of color and um, write a story that was realistic with some of the things that we struggle with. So she struggles with whether she should date interracially. She struggles with, you know, whether she should um, give her life back to God because she um, had a relationship with God. She grew up in the church, and then she kind of strayed away. But, you know, there was always that nagging um, factor in her heart and her soul that told her, you know, she needed to go back to church and reestablish her relationship with God. And oftentimes, you know, we go through those those paths in life. We come to a cross world, and, you know, we might go left instead of going right, and our, our life changes, you know, based on the decisions that we make. And then how do those decisions impact our life? And that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about in the book, too. How does her decision impact, you know, the end result of her life? So I think it was just looking at some of the issues, um, you know, in my own church and looking at some of the young women that struggled to, you know, hopefully um, find a mate or that God would put a mate in their life. And then, you know, people are coming to them and they're wondering, okay, is, is he the right one? Is he the right one? Those are very real issues, and, and I wanted to uh, present that in a very entertaining manner. Okay, okay. I had to tell you when I was researching for your interview, I don't know if this is still up there. I think it's a typo, but I did I didn't want it to cost you like sales, but your book is listed on Amazon for one eighty eight hundred and eighty eight dollars and seventy eight cents. I said that's probably a typo. What? Yeah. Oh just just letting you know I just letting you know that's that something Definitely. to make a note of. <laughs> I, I, cause I, you know what? I didn't even remember it. I would have emailed it to you until we were doing the interview. I know I had posted a note in my questions. Just uh, I said that, that could, that's probably a typo, but which just, book is that? Easily go back and have them correct it. They it's just probably a typo. You just go Absolutely. back and have them correct it. People are probably like, "Ooh, that might thank be you for bringing that to my to my attention." Was it a specific book title? <laughs> huh? Was it a specific Amazon. book title? It was listed at Amazon for $188. For the brother that? 
at Amazon. Was that the title though? Where the book is at? Yes. Which? Okay. Okay. Thank you yeah. so much for bringing yeah. that to my attention. You, you're very welcome. Uh, that's it. Now that we got that, that <laughs> 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 other people are interested, you can just go and say, "Oh my God!" So you are listening. Yes, and just know that that is that uh, uh, Grace is working on that, and it's going to be corrected. Uh, can you tell us? Can you tell us about the main character? You talked about her briefly. She came up in the church, and then she left the church, and she feels this longing, this 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 something uh, pulling at her to return to the church. And should she what type of relationship should she go into? But can you tell us about where did, briefly where she grew up? Does she how close is she to her parents? What type of relationship does she have? Does she have siblings? And what are some of her dreams and aspirations? She doesn't have uh, siblings. She's oh, uh, what is more her name? of a loner. Give us her name as well. Yeah, her name is Darcelle. Gar- okay. The main character's name is Darcelle, and Darcelle. she does not okay. have siblings. She grew up, you know, mostly um, to herself. Uh, her mom's, um, you know, deceased. She has a very close friend who she um, loves like a sister, and, um, you know, they kind of encourage each other along, you know, the pathway. She always knew that she wanted to be uh, an attorney, and when she achieved that goal, it wasn't long after that that she actually became a a partner in her law firm. You know, she graduated top of law school and has been just successful. Um, But there is um, a secret uh, sin in her past um, that comes back to haunt her. So something that she did, you know, years ago prior to um, graduating college comes back to haunt her, and she has to deal with it. And it actually is one of the pivotal points in the book because it actually is going to um, change the course of her life. And, you know, of course, we all make decisions, and sometimes those decisions, you know, they mm. that's the end of it. And then sometimes when we make decisions, that decision um, impacts us down the road in life, and sometimes though that impact, you know, is, is can be catastrophic. So she's wow. dealing with that. So there's a little bit of mystery um, in the book as well. She um, meets a man uh, in her law firm that is very, very interested in her. Uh, He's a a white man, very attractive, and she's attracted to him, but she struggles with, you know, the social um, issues with, you know, having an interracial relationship. You know, she doesn't want her children to um, have to struggle with, you know, um, societal pressures of being a, a mixed child. Um, so she's trying to be very realistic in, in what the challenges would be if she were to date this um, white man that she's attracted to because she wants to, you know, build a, a family and a future, but she knows that life has its own challenges, you know, mm-hmm. without adding extra things yes. that you might not have to deal with. You have a choice in. And I right. think that's very realistic because that's life. You know, and I really want the stories to depict real life challenges and give people maybe a different spin on how you might have dealt with something, or maybe you know someone who had a very similar situation, you know, and then you see the outcome of this person's, of Darcell's life. So it's yeah. just an interesting book. That was actually on a, uh, that topic on a different world uh, recently, and then the, and the, um, the, the sister said, you know, relationships are hard enough, 
and then right. just now you're adding all this other stuff to it. Right. And even mm-hmm. even though people are more open to different types of re- diverse relationships mm-hmm. today, there's still you're going to get gl- stares and glances and people making comments. And then the, 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 do the, do does each, both fam- people's family members accept the other person? Are they like, I wish right. you I wish you right. with that person. So there is a lot of extra added weight. When you, it's not just the two of you. It's a lot of extra other stuff that comes into it. I wanted to ask you: Is the CFO, the 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 the, the Caucasian guy who's the CFO at the firm, is he the only available man uh, she regularly crosses paths with? No, he's not. There's actually, um, and without you know giving away too much of the book. There's actually another man uh, of a different uh, nationality who is interested in her as well, and she's attracted to both men. And she, because she's a, a very, um, a very rational person, she she's very scrutinizing in situations, and you know really thinks things through. Not only is she doing that from a business perspective, but she's doing that with her life. So she's actually looking at these two men and saying, you know, okay. These are the um, positive points with this man. These are the positive points, you know, with possibly dating this guy. And then she's looking at the negative things as well and trying to come up with, you know, a decision as to, you know, if, if it's going to be worth it to me to take the risk to date, you know, either one of them. They're both successful. They're both attractive. You know, they're both men that she finds herself interested in, but she's looking down the road, you know, 10 years down the road when she has kids and, you know, she has a home and, you know, life is going down a totally different pathway, you know, what that's going to look like as well. And I don't think that, you know, go ahead. I don't think that a lot of, I don't think that we do that often enough sometimes in relationships. You know, we get so caught up initially in the emotion and the physical attraction and, you know, we don't always do our homework, you know, have we done our background check on that person, you know, we don't all, we're not always as practical as we should be necessarily, but she's very practical. I I wanted to ask you when you were describing how she keeps looking down the road. What if I make if I choose this guy over that guy? What is my life going to look like ten, fifteen, twenty mm-hmm. years from now? Mm-hmm. Is she in her like early twenties? Because she is very mature to be doing that. I would say most a lot of women wouldn't even start thinking that way till their thirties, forties, some fifties. Like mm-hmm. hey, let me really, really think this through. When we're right. younger, we tend to say, "I feel so much." energy attraction with this guy. He's got to be the guy, and then we just jump mm-hmm. in here first. Mm-hmm. Well, part, well, she's actually in her early 30s, and okay. part of her um, reasoning and, and ability to think the way that she is is because of this secret sin or, you know, mistake oh. that she made years ago, and it's impacting her right now. Ah, Okay. And as the story unfolds, you get the opportunity to see what that challenge was, what her decision was, you know, what the end result was, and how that decision is impacting her life right now. And because of that particular decision and the conflict, she has to look down the road and look at things much, much differently than she did previously. Uh, So she's learned from, from this challenge in her life. Okay, okay, okay. 
Ah, very interesting. You and you you got you you got a good carrot out there. And you know things do happen in real life. Now you say you like to base base your, your novels on real life uh, experiences, but things do happen that they influence the way we think. Yes. Uh, yes. Significantly, something it could, it could, it could at the time be seemingly minor, not take up a lot of space or time in our life, but impact us in such a way it completely changes the yes, way we think, absolutely. the way we look at things. I think that's interesting that you you kept that factor in uh, where the brothers at. Now your second novel. Uh, Sorrows of the Heart. It focuses on male relationships. You go from this this woman who something in her past is influencing the decisions she's making in her relationships, her biz, her career, etc. And where the brother's at. To your second novel, Sorrows of the Heart. It focuses on male relationships. That said, why is one of the main characters in Sorrows of the Heart, Malcolm Johnson? Why is he so intent? on being his brother's keeper. Malcolm grew up, he and his brother, in Chicago, and they grew up in, you know, a very, very rough um, housing complex. Um, There's a tragedy that happens early on in the book, and he's forced into a position where he's, you know, having to be accountable for his brother. And his mother, you know, really instilled in them that you each are accountable for each other. You are not a single person in this world alone. And if you're going to be successful, you make sure that your brother is successful as well. So, you know, she embedded that in them early on, and he's committed to that. He He's absolutely adopted that mindset, and he's sincere with it in his heart. And, he, and, and as the book unfolds, you see the length that he will go to to make sure that his brother's needs are met and that he helps him to carve out his future. And one of the reasons why I wanted to write about a male character is because some of the uh, underlying theme in the story uh, focuses on uh, male-female relationships. But this man, um, like, you know, a lot of men sometimes, or or women, you know, they struggle with whether they're going to have a monogamous relationship or not. Mm. And... As they're as they're struggling with that, and you know they've got you know two or three or you know four women that they're interested in or that's interested in them, and you know how do they move through the challenges to actually mature and get to the point where they decide, yes, I want a monogamous relationship, and this is the person that I want it with, but I've done some things that have you know really put me in a precarious situation and where I want to have this monogamous relationship and not have, you know, my past nip away at that relationship or put this person in jeopardy, how do I do that? So there's a lot of suspense in that book and then some things that happen that really uh, put him and his significant other in, you know, kind of a dangerous position. Sovereigns of the heart. Now, Malcolm, he he wants to help his brother, and I think I know his mom saying, "Look out for your brother." That happened to my my grandfather. His mother on her deathbed promised me, "Clyde, you'll look out for all your siblings," and he said he did. Mm-hmm. What else you gonna do then in that situation? Mm-hmm. He said, "Oh, how he regretted it because it, that's just too much of a burden." I think looking out for yourself is enough. Now he wants to help. <laughs> 
No, it is. To me, when a parent it does is. that, almost, it's almost like mm-hmm. a parent forcing an older child to take care of the siblings. The older kid didn't have those kids. Mm-hmm. So now they got to take care of their younger siblings, and when they grow up, they got to take care of their own kids too. Like mm-hmm. no, I I I I totally don't agree with that. I really really don't. But anyway, he, he, Malcolm wants to help his brother, but mm-hmm. he doesn't want to share that same commitment uh, to supporting like with a with a with a woman. He's like so committed to his brother. So he's described as a as a playboy, as you alluded to. Why he he can he can devote himself to his brother, and but what causes him? to keep his heart at a distance when it comes to a woman. He just can't. It's like the same commitment and dedication and devotion he gives his brother. He can't give it to a woman. He he does, you know, as the book unfolds. But, you know, initially the lifestyle that he's living is a precarious lifestyle. It's a risky lifestyle. And... Part of his apprehension is that he doesn't want, you know, this person to be their their safety to be jeopardized, you know, in any way. But he also wants to make sure that when he decides that he wants to settle down, that, you know, he's met the right person and that's the person that he wants to commit his life to. Because his mother also, you know, tried to instill in them the respect of a woman. She was a single parent to them. So she tried to instill in them, you know, you've got a mom and, you know, you wouldn't want anyone to, you know, take advantage of me. I don't want Mm -hmm. you to take advantage of a woman's heart. You know, if you're not interested in someone, you know, be honest with them and, you know, don't mislead them and, you know, kind of that mindset she tried to instill in her boys. Okay. Now what one to two lessons does Malcolm learn? He's in this precarious lifestyle and he's juggling women and he's, He's looking after his brother. Well, one to two lessons through all this that's going on in his life, does he learn while he's dealing with Ava Jones and Miss Samara Hughes? That trust in a relationship is imperative uh, and that money cannot buy happiness. Uh, okay. Hmm. I, I think through all of our experiences, we we we're supposed to learn things, and when we don't, we mm-hmm. have to repeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we do. Well, unfortunately, like, we oh, do. Come on, to go through this again because you didn't get it the first time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I love the cover Absolutely. of your book. Yes. Thank you. I love the cover of your book, The Kitchen Beautician, and the, what a title. Can you give our off-the-shelf listeners a synopsis of The Kitchen Beautician? The Kitchen Beautician is a really uh, funny look at life and the decisions that people make and the impact that those decisions have on our lives. Um, The story is fashioned after the main character who um, actually struggles with his uh, sexuality. His name is Javon. He struggles with his sexuality. He grew up in the church. His father was a pastor, so he knows the word of God and but he's struggling with his sexuality because of um, molestation in his past um, as a child and and throughout his life. And he has a hot spot beauty salon in Atlanta, but that beauty salon started in his kitchen. So like most of us, we know a kitchen beautician because somebody got their hair done in somebody's house, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's how his business started. But he's got this um, 
popping um, salon in Atlanta, and it's where everybody goes to get their hair done. And he's um, a real-life counselor to these women because they just put it on the line, tell them all their business, and he's, you know, giving it to them straight, you know. You can't possibly believe that this man, um, you know, is interested in you and that he's not taking advantage of you when he's in prison and you're dating him and putting money on his books and he got out and didn't even, uh, you know, wasn't even interested in you. He dated and married somebody else. I mean, he just puts it on the line, you know. Mm. So where sometimes we, we don't want to hear the reality of our decisions or we don't really want somebody to tell us what they really think about our yes, choices, yes. even though we say, hey, what do you think? And then when the person really gives it to you in the raw, you re- that wasn't really what you wanted to hear. You really wanted them to just say, oh, girl, yes, I, that, that's yes. what you should do. You just want somebody <laughs> to agree with you. You don't put the stamp of approval on that foolishness that you're yeah. involved in. But Javon is not having that. If you ask him a question, and if you don't, he's going to give it to you in the raw. <laughs> well, good, good for him. Good for him. Now, in addition to Javon Graham and Danita Haywood, can you tell us who are some of the other characters who will keep readers turning the pages of the Kitchen Beautician, and what makes these characters stand out? Well, I, I think probably his his patrons, the the women that come in the shop, because the issues that they deal with and that they talk about. And you know yourself, when we go to the beauty salon, I mean, it's really just a, a great big free-for-all. We talk about everything, you know, from hair to purses to sex to, you know, um, the man that you're dating now. I mean, women just, we talk about that type of stuff. So in the beauty salon, those are the type of conversations that are going on, you know, hot and heavy. And um, so I think the relationships with his patrons and the things that they talk about and just how they share intimate details about their relationships and their lives and their challenges, and everybody is, you know, kind of counseling everybody. And then there's a scene in the book where one of the patrons um, has had an issue with a man in her life who's been abusive, and he comes into the shop, and there's this, this big conflict and this big blow up. Um, in the shop. So there's a lot of drama that happens in the shop. A lot of things happen in the shop and um, people's relationships, you know, are kind of just put on the stage and, you know, you get to see how their lives unfold and it's, it's very engaging because the challenges and things that they're talking about are things that all of us deal with. One woman is talking about um, a woman that's dating her husband, you know, and how she's mm. dealing with that and how she found out that this woman was dating her husband. So, you know, very real issues and challenges. Why you know what the kitchen beautician sounds? It sounds like something. It it sounds very intriguing and like a book. Near anybody could enjoy the kitchen beautician. Now I want to talk about we 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 are. I, I told you that the shows go very very quickly. We have less than half an hour left. We got about a little over twenty minutes before I start wrapping up. But I want to talk about some a few of your other novels or other books you've written on. And then I definitely want to, for our listeners who are interested in writing novels themselves and marketing their novels, I also want to touch on that because I like to give our listeners tips. They can walk away with tips and advice that they can say, wow, I'm really glad I tuned in to Off the Shelf. I learned about this new author, Gracie Hill. I learned about the books she's authored and co-authored. And then I got some tips that I can use. Uh, practical tips in my own life. Now, that mm-hmm. I want to 
Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about Save Sanctified. And is it Save Sanctified and Keeping My Secret? That's the one that, title, correct? That is the title. And I, and I definitely want us to make sure that we leave um, time to talk about Relentless, which is my most recent novel. Yes, yes. What connects Jasmine Winfield, Pastor James Burton, you really touch on some topics in your books, and Pastor John Timmons, and what connects all these people and say sanctified and keeping my secret? That book is a trilogy, so it's not one story. It's three stories that are interconnected because they're all stories about a character who has a relationship um, with God, and they're struggling with some aspect of their life. There's some stronghold in their life or some um, something that they've kept hidden um, that comes back to impact their life, so some sin that they did previously or a sin that's right in front of them now and they have to decide, okay, I'm saved, I'm sanctified. Is it okay if I do this thing because I really can keep it a secret and nobody really has to know about it? You know, and sometimes when we have when we profess salvation in Christianity, we we find ourselves having to make decisions on what what you will and what you won't do. And the bottom line is, the Bible is the the um, determining factor of what's right and what's wrong. And whether anybody else in the world knows that you did something or not, God knows. So if you profess yes. salvation, you can't hide from what you did. It, that sin is really not a secret. It might be a secret to the world, but depending on what that sin is, it will raise its ugly head and show the world who you are too. Mm. That is so true. That is so true. You, we, you think you hide, but and like you said in your in Come your, um, your, your, your the, the, the the first novel that we talked about. Where the brothers at, th- things can come back to impact us in the way we think. Maybe nobody does find out, but it still has has an impact on us. Absolutely. Why did you decide to give at least one main character in your novels? It seems to be a a, 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 a something that keeps popping up. They have this burden of keeping a secret. Why why did you decide to take that approach? Because when I was doing my research for this book, I mean, I, I talked to so many people who, you know, were saved and um, struggling with certain things uh, in their life and people who felt like I can't be truly um, free in my heart because, you know, there's this thing that I haven't confessed yet. You know, I'm a, uh, a deacon in the church or, you know, I, I lead the praise team or, you know, whatever my role is. And I haven't confessed this thing yet, or I haven't stopped doing this one thing, you know. And if you're a pastor, for example, and mm. you have a child by someone in the congregation and you're married, oh. that's a secret sin. And that secret sin looks at you every Sunday from the pulpit, and you're wondering when this thing is going to blow up. Yeah. So, People struggle with very real issues that, you know, we we may feel like no one knows what's going on because it's all behind closed doors. It happened five years ago. You know, I lived in Chicago, and now I live in Atlanta. But when we Mm. do things that are outside of the will and the word of God, sometimes God will allow that thing to face you front and center, even though you think that that thing is undercover, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah, 
<laughs> well, when you when you, I think when we think we're walking in the flesh, that only what can be seen in the flesh is what's known, but. That is so, 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 so not the case. So it is good, you know. And then you see this on TV shows where they'll bring it out where somebody thought they got away with something. Then the very mm-hmm. last minute, it's kind of a gotcha. Now, you also mm-hmm. co-authored. We want to talk about Relentless. You yes, also co-authored yes. Relentless with best-selling author Patricia Haley. What was it like co-authoring a novel? It was, it has been, and is a awesome experience and opportunity. Um, Patricia is a wonderful, wonderful author. I, I loved her her books even before we started writing this uh, series together because Relentless is the first book in a four-book series. So the second book is going to release uh, in November of this year, and the name of the second book is Redeemed. And when we started writing the project, and I have to say that Patricia and I knew each other. Uh, we grew up together. We used to live a block from each oh, other. We went to okay. school together. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as we grew up and went off and, and did our individual things, went to college and, you know, whatever, um, you know, we, we kind of lost touch with each other. And then when I was living in Chicago, she had a book signing in Chicago downtown so I went to her book signing, and I took her a copy of The Kitchen Petition and just asked her to read it and just give me some feedback. Uh, not long after that, maybe three weeks, a month after that, she uh, contacted me and um, asked to meet for lunch. She had a project that she wanted to talk to me about. And so she shared with me her idea and vision of this uh, story of um, – Relentless, Redeemed, and, you know, a couple of other books that were going to be a part of this four-book series. The series is fashioned after a modern, loosely fashioned after modern-day Paul and his struggles with the church. And I was just blown away, for one, that she would consider me to write this um, series with her. And then, of course, it was an awesome opportunity for me because I had uh, self-published four books prior to that. And I wanted to, you know, go to the next level and, you know, didn't know, you know, how that door was going to open or, you know, just what um, was next for me in my writing journey. And then for her to, you know, offer to um, have me write the series with her, it just blew me away. I was like, God, you just always know how to do it, you know. So it was a wonderful opportunity for me. And it has been um, very, very um, effortless. You know, we write together collectively, working in the same document, passing it back and forth between each other in email. Um, you know, we talk on the phone. Um, we we um, communicate, you know, in email, you know, our, our thoughts. And uh, we work from an outline um, for the entire story. And she'll write X number of chapters, and then she'll pass it to me, and I'll write, you know, X number of chapters. So it, it's been an awesome um, experience and opportunity. How does... I was going to ask you, do, are, does she work on certain characters and you work on certain characters? Because if she's writing, uh, like, maybe chapter one through three, then you pick up and write chapters four through six, is it is it seamless? Would the reader, could the reader tell, oh, there's a, this is a different author is taking over, or is it seamless? You know, it, it, it is seamless, and um, Patricia said that one of the things that she was um, most pleased about with our joint effort is that the story moves smoothly and seamlessly. Our 
writing styles flow and complement each other very well. You can't tell that, you know, this is uh, one author and now five chapters, this is another author. We we write the book from an outline um, based on each individual chapter and what's going to happen in that chapter. But then we also created a character chart when we first started writing the book. So we knew who the characters were going to be, you know, what they looked like physically, what their personalities were, their strengths, their weaknesses, you know, so that as we're writing the book, those things come out in the story. So you actually get the opportunity to be able to visualize, you know, Maxwell and, you know, how he looks and his mannerisms and how he responds um, based on certain things because that's his character, that's his nature, you know, so I think it's a very seamless uh, process as you read the book, and, and everyone that's given us feedback has, has absolutely said the same thing. Okay. Now, Maxwell, Patricia's been on Off the Shelf before we and given a little backstory on him. Um, you have been a part of the project from the from its inception, from the beginning, or did you come in after she had already written a few books in the series? No. She and I wrote the um, first book um, together, the series, the idea for the series was Patricia's. She um, decided that this was a series that she wanted to write. You know, it was going to be fashioned after, uh, loosely fashioned after Modern Day Paul. Um, So she had an outline and she knew how, um, you know, she wanted the story to to start off and, and, and move through the four different books. But we've both been very creative in bringing the story to life because we've both written the story together. And although you start with the outline, as you're writing, you know, the story changes as the story comes to life to you as you're writing it. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. you take on the character, you, you're in that character's head. And, you know, so you, you start with the outline. It's a map, but, but we absolutely have, you know, the freedom to be creative and, you know, change things around as they need to be and, you know, let the, let the, the characters tell the story for us. Can you give our off-the-shelf listeners who they may not have caught Patricia's uh, interview here on off-the-shelf, and they may not be familiar with the uh, Relentless and the series, can you give a a synopsis? Can you take us through, uh, talk about one or two Maxwell and maybe another main character, and give a synopsis of the story? Sure. Um, Maxwell Montgomery is the main character. He's a civil attorney. Um, with a relentless uh, determination to root out what he feels is corruption and religious hypocrisy mm-hmm. he within the church. Um, his issue with the church kind of stems from his unresolved bitterness toward his father um, and his childhood. His father was the deacon in the church that he grew up in, and the pastor of that church uh, came up with this get-rich-quick um, real estate scheme that fell through and caused his father and other church members to lose, you know, their life savings, their college oh fund that his dad had for he and his sister, you know, was lost. They lost their home. They ended up moving into oh. a two-bedroom apartment. And... So Maxwell has some bitterness there. You know, he he feels that religious leaders are corrupt, and he has uh, destined himself down a pathway to hold them accountable to um, the law, not just God's going to hold them accountable. 
he doesn't believe that that's necessarily happening. He's going to hold them accountable. So his father ends up going to prison. Uh, so does his mom for um, a short period of time. And um, so as Maxwell grows up, he actually, at the age of 17, ends up um, leaving home early and just ostracizes himself from his from his family and even changes his name. His dad's name is Paul. His birth name is Paul, but he decides to change his name to Maxwell, um, okay. goes to college, and then becomes an attorney. So now he has this platform and opportunity to pursue, um, you know, religious corruption, and it's all stemming from, you know, his his uh, issues and bitterness from the past. So as he uh, establishes his law firm and becomes very successful, you know, he's wealthy, and he has the opportunity to pursue the pastor who was the pastor over his church and facilitated this land scheme that caused his family to be in financial ruins. Mm. Now he's decided that this is a pastor who is now a bishop that he's going to pursue and hold him accountable for his unscrupulous dealings. So the story starts out with this particular um, bishop and Bishop Jones, and this is who he's now pursuing him and his church. So Bishop Jones has come up. He obviously, they obviously no one pressed charges, I'm assuming, against Bishop Jones when he was still a minister with the uh, the, the real estate get quick rich scheme that caused people. Correct. To, he the, the he walked away harmless. Exactly. Did they? Nope. So nobody pressed charges. Not against him. He walked away with his reputation intact, his finances intact. It it didn't impact him at all because okay, the mother. So, because go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Maxwell's mother was, you know, the church secretary and the deacon. Uh, uh, because he was a deacon, he had, you know, certain accountability for signing, you know, financial documents and things like that. So that's how they were caught up in in the discourse of things. Now, what happens at Greater Metropolitan Church, and this is in Philadelphia, uh, if I'm correct, what happens at Greater Metropolitan Church? And can you tell us how big this church is? Is, is Bishop Jones, is he like a mega pastor, and does he feel that he's above reproach? I mean, he walked away before. He is. This this church is a mega church. There's thousands of members. They have multiple services. The sanctuary, the, the church, the edifice itself is huge. It's magnificent. Uh, he he he's involved in um, other land deals in the city. He's in the, in the process of building another um, edif- not church, but he's trying to build some type of um, youth um, center so that he can impact youth that are uh, struggling and and maybe out on the street or you know they're juvenile delinquents. He wants to have a, a place for them that they can be off the street and, and kind of steer them to the right pathway. And he's actually evolved. He he has changed. He's he's sold out for God. He's not the unscrupulous pastor that he used to be. So he is a, a man who loves the Lord and is really trying to do the right thing. And the church that he has now, is, as he's a bishop, he even though Maxwell is pursuing him, Maxwell is pursuing him based on who he used to be. Maxwell is determined that this man has not changed. He's, you know, just as corrupt as he ever was, and he's going to show the world who he really is. So his church, um, Greater Metropolitan, is who Maxwell pursues 
Bishop Jones and his church. Okay. So, so again, we got a past event that somebody can't let go of, and it's it's showing up. Uh, it's showing up. It's showing exactly. up now. Exactly. I want to I want to ask you. Uh, I definitely want. We have less than ten minutes left to get to some questions that our listeners who might want to be writers themselves. And I have to say, relentless. All of your novels are very intriguing. They all have some point in them that readers could relate to, regardless of background, and really sink their teeth into. And your characters are very well fleshed out. And to all the chef listeners, again, Relentless is a book series that Gracie Hill is co-authoring with Patricia Haley. And I and I really it, it this character Maxwell is going to drive the story. You can tell he's just he. He is so intent. Uh, he's really going to help to drive this this book series. Uh, now, writing and publishing, Gracie, is really the first step. I heard that for years, and then once I wrote and published a book, I saw how factual that was. Then you have to actually get out here and sell the book. Can you share with off-the-shelf listeners who may be thinking about writing and publishing their first book, or maybe they already have, and they want some new approaches to expanding their market. What four to five marketing steps have you found, not just heard about and repeating, but you've actually found worked for you? I would say one, um, definitely having um, a well-managed and well-designed website. Okay. Because you want to be able to market mass mass market, and you want people to be able to purchase the book from you and you actually um, autograph the book for them if, you know, they want to have that done prior to the book being shipped to them. So I, I think not only just them being able to purchase the book from Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or, you know, any of those uh, stores, um, but they also have the opportunity to reach out to you personally and interact with you, you know, via your mm. website. And a lot of times, you know, people feel like, well, you know, I don't want to go through the expense. Or, you know, I don't know anyone who um, designs and builds websites. Do I really need that? Yes, you do. Because you don't want to just sell books in the little area that you live in, in the city that you live in, or, you know, the uh, surrounding towns. You want to be a national um, reputation. You want people to know you on a national platform. And the only way to do that is to be very vocal and to be very visible. So you definitely need a good um, website. Um, and, and I think, too, one of the tools that I found very um, useful early on was um, a book called um, Writer's Market. It's an excellent okay. tool. I think okay. it's um, published either every year or every other year. I know there's a mm -hmm. 2015 version out right now of um, the Writer's Market, and it's an excellent book. It, it gives you a, a lot of information about publishing a book. It talks about, it even teaches you and gives you examples of how to write a query letter you know, so that you can present um, your story and, um, you know, your effort and idea to, to have a story published to a particular editor. It even um, breaks out specifically what editors are looking for this type of um, genre or this type of story, whether it's, you know, comedy or, or fiction or autobiographical, you know, whatever it is. Um, the the um, editor's contact information is there, everything. It's, it's a hugely impactful resource and tool, I think, for anyone who's considering writing a book. Mm -hmm. You need a good editor. You need a yeah. very good editor because people, you get one impression 
one opportunity to make a good impression. Mm-hmm. So you absolutely need a, a professional editor, not your sister that reads the book behind you and tries to catch the comma that need to be added. <laughs> you need an editor that's going to read for content, for plot, the structure of the story, and, of course, you know, um, to make sure that there's no grammatical errors as well. But you need a solid professional editor that's going to um, give you a really good um, dissect version of your story and really cut it up and say, okay, you didn't finish this thought. This character is not developed. You know, you you have a lot of run-on sentences. You know, whatever the areas of opportunity are, you need someone that can professionally design um, a way for you to to impact that and to point out those things for you. And then, too, like you said, it, it once you get the book written, you're, you're not done. The real job starts in marketing that book and getting it out in front of people and selling the book and making sure that, you know, people know who you are. The book is in the library and in the city that you live in and every other library that you can possibly get it in and every bookstore. And you have to not be afraid to talk to people. You should have a business card and books on you everywhere you go. When I go to the grocery store, I'm handing a business card and a four-by-six of Relentless to every person I touch at the gas station, at the grocery store, when I'm shopping. You don't have to know me and I don't have to know you, but I need you to know about this book. So okay. you have to be very you need to be very verbal and very confident in talking with people. You don't have to know people, but they they will know you once you put that piece of marketing material in their hand. Mhm. So you That's have to good be advice. Vocal. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yes. Yep. And postcards, press releases. Absolutely. And, and go and, and go ahead you said, you were going to add some more. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, we we just have to have the confidence in your own product because that's your baby, and no one's going to love and care about that baby more than you do. So you want to introduce that baby to everybody possible. So you have to have um, that that self-confidence and be, um, you know, able to not meet a stranger. I don't meet anybody that's a stranger. I don't I don't have a, con- a, a issue talking to anybody, and that's the type of disposition that you have to take on, you know. And and do your own marketing. I mean, you you should be sending out um, emails on a regular basis to a distribution list of people that you already know and new emails that you're capturing as you meet new people. You should be, I go on the Internet all the time and, and I find names of, and email addresses of book clubs that I want to send an intro and a picture of the um, book cover to and a synopsis about Relentless because we want book clubs to also purchase this book and, and invite us to talk about the book. So you yes. just have to be creative and, you know, get out there and just make sure that every week you're doing something to make that book visible and yourself as an author. Yes, yes. Before we go, can you tell our off-the-shelf listeners, where can they get copies of Relentless and your other novels? Relentless, my other novels and Patricia's novels are available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. Relentless is, is also in the store, so in the brick-and-mortar brick store, you can go and get copies of our books uh, at Barnes & Noble's. Um, you also can download a copy of Relentless from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, so there's an electronic uh, copy of the book available for you as well. The e-copy is available at nine ninety nine, and the print paperback is available for fourteen ninety nine. 
Okay. We have had the absolute pleasure of uh, speaking with Gracie Hill. She's our special guest today, an Arkansas native. She's lived in Chicago for many, many, many years. She's the author. She's authored or co-authored the books "Relentless Sorrows of the Heart." The Kitchen Beautician and Sage Sanctified and Keeping My Secret. Her website is GracieHill.com, G-R-A-C-I-E-H-I-L-L.com. Again, GracieHill.com. Please go support her and Relentless and her other books. Again, Sorrows of the Heart, The Kitchen Beautician and Sage Sanctified and Keeping My Secret. We want to thank Gracie for taking time out of her schedule to join us here today on Off the Shelf. I want to thank all of you showed up in the chat room and those who dialed in and however you connected to today's show. If you didn't catch all the show, no worries. It will be available in the archives in probably about an hour or two. So you can go back and listen to it as often as you like uh, this show with Gracie Hill and some of our other shows. Wanna wanna encourage you to tell your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, everybody you know to tune in to off the shelf Saturday mornings, eleven AM New York City time or Eastern Standard Time, whichever is easiest for you to remember. Again, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. We'll see you back here next Saturday. Thank you again, Gracie. As I always tell you guys, you are awesome. You are fabulous. You are amazing. And I hope one day you really, really, really see that. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Bye for now. Gracie, I'll shoot you an email. Thank you so much. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.